Welcome to the Living for Purpose podcast, a podcast about creating health and wellness and getting the life you deserve. This is for frontline fundraisers and heart-centered overachievers working for purpose in social profit organizations of all kinds. We know the work is so important and so rewarding, but I'm not going to lie, it can be just as depleting. Here's the thing, you've got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others and the planet. I'm your host, Andrea Bell, and I made this for you. Hey you, welcome to the Living for Purpose podcast. This is episode number one. I'm stoked to be here talking with you. This podcast is about creating health and wellness and the life that you deserve while working for purpose as a frontline fundraiser. Rule number one is you're going to hear me refer to our work as for purpose and for social profit organizations. I truly believe that the words we choose are important and create meaning. So rather than define ourselves by what we are not or what we lack, i.e. not-for-profit or nonprofit organization, let's define ourselves by who and what we are and what we're working for. So it's for-profit, for-purpose, and social profit. If you know Lynn Twist's work, you know I'm taking a page out of her playbook when I say all this. If you don't know Lynn Twist, I strongly recommend you read her book, The Soul of Money. And you can also find a lot of her talks online. Uh, about a year ago, I attended her two-day seminar called Fundraising from the Heart at the 1440 Multiversity in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And it was really amazing. They do it about once a year under normal circumstances. And if you ever have the chance to go, I really think you should. It'll change you. I wanted to talk a little bit about why I am creating this podcast for frontline fundraisers. I'm creating this for frontline fundraisers because after 20 plus years of working for social profit organizations as a fundraiser myself, I've learned from my personal experience and from my observation that the biggest obstacle that most fundraisers face when it's coming to living for purpose and doing the work is not the economy, it's not the resources that are available for us, or our working environment, which is all hard to believe, right? Because those are major obstacles that we've all worked through. But the biggest obstacle, actually, that I find fundraisers face is what you may also view as one of your biggest strengths, and it's your altruistic nature. It's being a giver, which quite often means that you put others before yourself and often it's to your detriment. That's what comes naturally to you. You may feel triggered to hear me say this, so hang in there. Tell me if this is you. You may feel that you live and breathe for your organization, that your identity is so intertwined with your work that you have trouble distinguishing between the two and you're stressed out and your relationships are suffering because you're working all the time. Or maybe your situation isn't as dire as all of that, yet you do feel out of balance and like you would like more energy and focus and time to pursue creativity and have time to innovate and think freely. So I guess what I'm saying is social profit is not for the faint of heart. With this podcast, I want to help you unwind from your work, 
create health and balance in your life and increase your energy and focus. And with that vital foundation of wellness, you can live your best life and go out there and serve others, your organization, and make a difference in the world. We know that the issues our organizations are working on aren't going to go away overnight. Most likely, you will always have more work to do. So repeat after me. I don't have to solve all of the problems today. This work requires a sustained effort. And so I hope you'll forgive me for the running metaphor because it's something that I enjoy, but it's true that being a fundraiser is like running a marathon or an ultra marathon. How is it alike? You start out with a vision, then you set an appropriate goal, get your support system in place. You train strategically, you eat nourishing foods and stay hydrated. You, oh, and this is a very important one. You treat rest and recovery with the same respect that you do your training runs. And you work on your mindset by visualizing your success. And on race day, you need to run your own race. And for the love of God, do not run through the aid stations. Stop. Let people help you. Drink the electrolytes. Eat the orange slices. They're good. Then get going again. So... Bottom line here, we need to take care of ourselves so that we can be at our best and make the world a better place. Okay, so I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. So let's dive in. What's the number one thing we need to do to improve the quality of our lives and our work? That thing is energy. We need more energy. And there are five things that you have to do to increase your energy. And today I'm going to tell you what those five things are. Then we'll really dive into those things in more detail over the next couple of episodes. So stay tuned in for that. The number one thing, managing your stress. So fundraising as a profession can be very stressful. And that gets amplified when environmental factors like the economy a global pandemic, and civil unrest are happening. Stress-induced emotions consume huge amounts of energy. And so for our minds, for our bodies, and for our spirits, it behooves us to manage that. I do want to say that not all stress is bad, however. Stanford psychologist Kelly McGonigal is a great teacher on this topic and more. And Kelly says that if people actually embrace the concept of stress, it can make them stronger, smarter, and happier. And I love that if you can change the way you think about stress, you can change the way you feel. This is totally empowering. Kelly does acknowledge that in her words, there is a reason stress has a bad reputation. And part of it is the evidence that Chronic and traumatic stress can increase the risk of illness, depression, and early mortality, among other things. However, choosing to see the upside of stress isn't about denying the fact that stress can be harmful. It's about trying to balance your mindset so that you feel less overwhelmed and hopeless about the fact that your life is stressful. We rarely get to choose the stress in our lives, and it isn't realistic to think that we can avoid stress. Given that life is going to be stressful, what do you gain by focusing on the fear that the reality of your life is killing you? 
Her TED talk about embracing stress totally changed my thinking about it. If you've never watched or listened to her TED talk, I'm putting the link in the show notes for you. It's called How to Make Stress Your Friend. She also wrote the book, The Upside of Stress, which I listened to on Audible, and it's amazing. So please check that out. So what can you do to control stress besides embracing it? First of all, try to get at what's at the core of your stress, not just what the situation is. More importantly, what are your thoughts? And are those thoughts actually true? The next thing that you can do, stay focused on your priorities, personally and professionally. What are your most important priorities? Are those reflected in your schedule? If you observe yourself for a week, what did you find most fulfilling and rewarding and what not so much? What are you doing that you don't need to do? You can design your life. You can say no more often. You only have a finite amount of time in a day. So be judicious about how you use it and who you spend time with. Another way that you can help control stress is to socialize and connect Resisting the urge to sit on the couch with a glass of wine and rewatch baking shows on Netflix. Instead, have a conversation with a friend or family. Embrace the awkward and try virtual networking. Text or write a thank you note to someone just because. Join a Facebook group with like-minded, high-vibe people. And if you need to talk with a professional to address what's going on in your life, that's no biggie. Just do it. Also, lighten your load and schedule regular downtime. One of the main reasons for fatigue is overwork. And it's especially important now, as so many of us are working remotely, that we make the delineation between work time and personal time. And don't be working 24-7. Having a startup ritual at the beginning of your day and sort of a closing ritual at the end of the day can really help. Also, friendly reminder, whenever you can, delegate and ask for help when you need it. Also, especially relevant right now, even though you aren't going to take that trip to Hawaii with the kids or wherever it was that you were planning to go, please use your holidays and vacation time and schedule downtime for yourself. Make sure that you unplug and keep your boundaries up. Here's a pro tip. If you set your intention that your time off from work is truly time to not work and enjoy yourself and recharge, it is much more likely to happen that way. Also, mind-body therapies like meditation, yoga, qigong, tai chi, massage, and more can also be effective tools for reducing stress. Okay, so managing stress, number one, great. Number two, Move your body. Exercise almost guarantees that you're going to sleep more soundly. It also gives your cells more energy to burn and circulates oxygen. And exercising causes your body to release epinephrine and norepinephrine. And these are hormones that in modest amounts can make you feel super energized. So running, biking, hiking, a brisk walk, all are so good. I know that it's hard right now not having access to a gym if that's what you're into, but, you know, I urge you, get yourself outside. And that actually brings me to my next point for increasing energy. Get outside in nature and enjoy the sunshine. You know, most of us or many of us, including myself, 
really are solar powered individuals. Um, so the short and sweet, get outside in nature for 20 minutes. Nature not only decreases stress, it can also make you kinder and healthier and probably makes you better in bed. So lace up and get out there. Number four on the list of items to increase your energy is, of course, the biggie, sleep. My relationship with sleep has improved so dramatically in the past year and a half since I became conscious about it and made it a personal goal to make sure that I am getting high quality sleep every night. It doesn't always happen, but if you make it your priority, it is going to get better. Trust me. My energy levels have gone up so dramatically since I've improved my sleep. So here are my tips. Go to sleep and get up around the same time every day. Create a bedtime ritual. That really helps. Stop looking at screens at least an hour before bedtime. And if you need to, put your phone in the other room and don't use it as an alarm clock. You want to commit to giving yourself a sleep opportunity of eight or more hours a day. And when I say sleep opportunity, that means like lights are out and your eyes are closed and you're relaxed. And hopefully you're going to fall asleep, but there is value in simply rest too. So with that eight hour of sleep opportunity, you know, say you get a solid seven in there, you're still doing great. There are all sorts of tools available to help you sleep more soundly as well, depending on your situation, like, you know, earplugs, white noise machines, aromatherapy, weighted blankets, chili pads. Some people even like sublingual melatonin or wearing blue light blocking glasses during the evening, which are super sexy and hot. If you think you may be sleep deprived, this is the first thing that you want to be working on to increase your energy. There are many books out there on the topic of sleep, and my favorite is The Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time by Ariana Huffington. The audiobook is read by Ariana's sister, Agapi, um, and she is just delightful. So I actually recommend the audiobook. I enjoyed it so much. And while we're talking about sleep, we can't not talk about caffeine and you know what? I'm not going to tell you to not drink caffeine. <laughs> I'm going to say use caffeine to your advantage. <laughs> you know, caffeine does, like, let's acknowledge this. Caffeine does help increase alertness. So having a cup of coffee can actually, but to get the energizing effects of caffeine, you have to be judicious about it. It can cause insomnia, especially when consumed in mass quantities and or afternoon. So I just had to throw that in there. It's a plug for coffee, but not so much. And just for kicks, if you want to have fun and get strategic with your caffeine use, you should try the nappuccino. What is a nappuccino? Dan Pink, who is a fantastic author wrote a great book called When, The Scientific Secrets to Perfect Timing. And that book is just amazing because it's full of all sorts of hacks that unlock the scientific secrets to good timing to help you flourish at work and at home. And so here's how the Nappuccino works. And I'll actually put a link for this in the show notes because I just find it so amusing and, <laughs> and useful. Um, so what you want to do is you want to find your afternoon trough 
time. And so that means take a week to chart your afternoon mood and energy levels and you'll see a consistent block of time when things begin to go south for you. This is your optimal nap time. So you want to create a peaceful environment and down a cup of coffee. (laughs) Caffeine actually takes 25 minutes to engage in your bloodstream. So drink the coffee right before you lie down. You want to set a timer for 25 minutes. And the reason why is because naps between 10 and 20 minutes measurably boost your alertness and mental function without leaving you sleepier than before. So you set that timer for 25 minutes, you get a 20-minute nap. When you wake up, boom, the caffeine is in your bloodstream. It's just amazing. Yay! We love caffeine. (laughs) I'm projecting. And let's talk about food and water as our fifth and final thing that we can use to increase our energy about food. What works for one person may not work for another. It's highly individual. In fact, you may hear from someone that they are totally energized from their raw vegan diet and another person is living their best life intermittent fasting and they're like drinking ghee and MCT oil and coffee for breakfast and they're on a keto diet. So there are hundreds of dietary theories out there, and I recommend that if you want to make a change, do a little research and start out with something that's appealing to you. And it's super important to give it time to let it work for you. So many people, if they don't get whatever result it is that they want right away, will think, oh, well, this doesn't work, and they stop. And so, of course, it doesn't work because you stopped. So give it time, make adjustments, Also, working with an integrative nutrition coach can be helpful. And remember, there is no one right way for everyone. What's right for you may even change over time too. So say what worked for you when you were 25, not so much when you're 40. So that said, I will say in general, eating foods with a low glycemic index whose sugars are absorbed slowly may help you avoid the lag in energy that can occur after eating quickly absorbed sugars or refined starches. Foods with a low glycemic index include whole grains, high fiber veggies, nuts, healthy oils. In general, high carb food has the highest glycemic indexes. Proteins and fats have glycemic indexes that are close to zero. So I think that we may all know that intellectually, but maybe we don't necessarily follow that. So have to ask, did your eyes glaze over when I started talking about glycemic index? You know, mine kind of do. So I wanted to share with you something that I just love and it's simple and it's effective and it's Michael Pollan's food rules. It can be distilled down to one simple mantra. Um, And if you can remember this and live by this, you're going to be in great shape. And it's this, Eat food, mostly plants, not too much. I'll say it again. Eat food, mostly plants, not too much. Bam. (laughs) Next up, beverages. So I think that we all know and agree that water is pretty much the answer to everything. Make sure that you're drinking at least half your body weight in ounces every day. 
And so we're talking about beverages. So I just need to say a little bit about like what you want to avoid. Obviously, sodas, diet sodas, artificial sweeteners, energy drinks, all that stuff is crap, (laughs) right? It's not real. So just keep that as far away from you as possible if you care about your energy and your health. And next up, I just want to talk a little bit about alcohol. The, you know, if increasing your energy is your concern, that nightly glass or two of wine to decompress isn't doing your energy level any big favor. This is a friendly reminder. Alcohol is a sedative. It makes you feel drowsy and lethargic. Plus, it's totally disruptive to your sleep. It messes with your blood sugar and it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Not because of the dip in your blood sugar that happens in the middle of the night, although that does wake you up. It's the diuretic effect from the alcohol that makes you have to pee in the middle of the night that's a problem too. So not so awesome. If you do drink, you'll want to do it in moderation at a time when you don't mind having your energy wind down. And P.S., moderation means no more than seven drinks for women per week and obviously not all on the same night, okay? I could talk more too about the social stigma of not drinking in this country. It's BS, (laughs) but I'll save that topic for another time. So yay, we've talked about the five things. Let me summarize those. Okay, here we go. Number one, manage your stress. Number two, move your body. Number three, get outside in nature and hopefully in the sunshine. Number four, sleep. Number five, eat food and drink water. Okay, so I want you to take a deep breath in and out and ask yourself, what is the one thing I can do today that will increase my energy level? Which of the ideas that Andrea shared resonated most with me? Was it designing my life according to my priorities? Was it drinking more water? Was it going for a hike? Was it trying a nappuccino? Little nap, little caffeine? So make a commitment to yourself that no matter what, you're going to do that one thing that will make a difference for an entire week. And give yourself a pat on the back whenever you notice that you're making that choice to support yourself. That positive reinforcement makes a difference. You got this. So wrapping it up, thank you for listening to the Living for Purpose podcast. I'm Andrea Bell, and I can't wait to talk with you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Living for Purpose podcast. If you're ready to make your move and create the wildly healthy and balanced life you deserve, please subscribe to the podcast and sign up for our email at livingforpurpose.co. We'll see you next week. Bye.